0: Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. Episode 207 finds us in the unusual position of previewing a French Open at the end of September.
1: Yeah. Autumn in Paris. Rain, fog, coldness, humidity. It's going to be a blast. Listen, this is a very quick turnaround from the US Open. We didn't even do an episode at the end of last week because who can keep up with these tournaments They've squeezed in two weeks of clay tournaments before the French Open. A lot of people can. We just can't. Not Madrid. Uh, I did mention last week that Madrid was happening after Rome. They say that the correction should be louder than the mistake. And, I mean, I blew through that in about two seconds. So the correction is here, and it is now longer than the error.
0: Well, (laughs) when we first started getting feedback and folks were like, very nicely... Very nicely. Very nicely, saying, well, you know, Madrid's actually not happening. You were like, how did you let that get to air? <laughs> it's like, dude, that was your half of the episode that you edited. I, I could have caught it live. <laughs> Clearly didn't have the bandwidth mm. for it then. Maybe I just wasn't listening to you.
1: That <laughs> but is you obvious. edited it. <laughs> uh, Madrid did not happen. No great loss, really. But now we are. Roland Garros starts on Sunday. This is the spot in the calendar. The general vicinity of the
0: calendar that Bernard Giudicelli and the French Open plopped themselves at the start of this whole COVID fiasco. Yeah. When we were wondering, will we be having any tennis this year? The French Open just announced. They took the choice upon themselves to just decide, we're going to have this tournament in the fall regardless. Not going to collaborate with the other three slams. Not going to talk to the ITF. Not going to have any consideration for the tournaments that would have been scheduled around this time. This is our time. We're not going to talk to Roger about Laver Cup either. And now they're here and France is having, sadly, a resurgence of COVID cases. And Paris is not in a good spot to be hosting this tournament. We'll get to that a little bit later on. All that is the backdrop and the context for getting in to a preview episode, which... Y'all want to hear about the draws. It is the bane of our existence as (laughs) tennis podcasters. But we do it for y'all. This is how we show you our love, Mm
1: -hmm. really. Let me tell you, this is the end of a long day. After a long week, in the words of Tina Turner, we're going to give it to you nice and rough. (laughs) And fast.
0: (laughs) Well then, we'll start with the men's draw. We'll start with a few of the players who are not in Paris, who won't be making the trip. Ash Barty, like she did for the U.S. Open, will not be traveling from Australia. She won't be playing. She, in the interim, won a cute little golf tournament. <laughs> a club championship. Mm-hmm. Naomi Osaka is currently in Haiti. Bianca Andreescu is, uh, again, like she's been for the entirety of the last calendar year, out of action. Hoping to rehab herself to be back in full force next year. Belinda Bencic a last-minute withdrawal right before the draw ceremony. So that's four of the top ten not in Paris. But for the most part, we're seeing far fewer absences than we did at the U.S. Open.
1: Yeah. On the women's side, actually on both sides, it feels like an absolutely loaded draw. Obviously on the men's, the highest profile withdrawal is Roger Federer, who has taken off the rest of the year.
0: Apart from Federer, you'd have to go all the way down into the 20s to find another men's player who's not at this event. Milos Raunich pulled out shortly before the draw. Nick Kyrios is not making the trip. Kyle Edmund is not there. Joe Wilfrid Songa, we knew he wasn't going to be there for a while. Fernando Verdasco, we'll get to that toward the end of the episode. Luca Puy, and, and that's really that's really it from the top 100 men. So by and large, this is this is a regular field for a grand slam on both sides. Save for a few of the a couple of the of the top women. Bianca wasn't going to be there anyway, most likely. So why don't we start with the men's draw? I think it's important to note right away that this event, more so than most, is ripe for upsets. Ripe for all kinds of shenanigans. As you like to say, wiggery and trickery. Giggery. Wiggery, giggery, and trickery. Tomfoolery. All of that stuff. You're going to have unusual clay conditions. It's going to be a wet Paris. It's going to be a cold Paris. There are brand new tennis balls, a different set of tennis balls that they're using at this event, switching from Babala to Wilson. And much of the talk leading into this event has been about how that change, in conjunction with the weather conditions, what that will mean for the players and the actual tennis that we'll see. So we are of the opinion that you should expect anything at this
1: event, right? You should probably prepare for some ugly tennis, some long some grinding matches, grinding points. For me, in advance of the draw, the most interesting thing to look out for was where does Dominic Team fall? Because if you're Novak or you're Rafa, you do not want to face Dominic Team before the final. And so, Team falls in Rafa's half, the bottom half. Djokovic has, I don't want to say an easy draw, but it's not a crazy difficult draw. I think we should retire
0: calling draws easier or not. (laughs) Fair enough. Because if you're looking at your faves draw, it's a minefield. And if you're looking at your foes draw, it's a playground. That's just the way these things always shake out. And on top of that, we know that what we think to be minefields, they often explode in ways that you don't think and clears a path. Yeah. So I, I want to just talk about what it actually okay. is.
1: So on a macro level, the the top four seed who landed in Djokovic's half is Daniil Medvedev. Who, by the way, has a not a good record on clay. Medvedev yes. on
0: clay is not who you th- would think he is.
1: But he is very optimistic that these weird conditions will help his more flat hitting style on clay. So we shall see. Stefanos Tsitsipas is the other top eight seed here. He's... Down at the bottom.
0: He's currently in the Hamburg semifinals,
1: correct? Yeah. And, I mean, we have... There are a lot of very intriguing first-round matchups here. Garin Kohlschreiber. Kohlschreiber is one of the uh, most...
0: I'm going to stop you there. At the risk of bullying you, I think you're about to no. say the exact same thing that you said about him at the US Open
1: draw. No, what I was going to say. I challenge the listeners to that, go back. Is that Cole Schreiber is one of the last people to beat Djokovic early in a slam. Oh, right well, in, that's different. The, I think the round of that's 16 here mm-hmm. at Roland Garros in like 2009 or something. It was a long time ago.
0: That That is different from what I, yeah. I thought you were going to yeah. say. You remember what you said about him at the I US do. Open. Okay. I
1: do. And I got bullied then
0: as well. <laughs> this narrative got, is out of control.
1: We've got. I mean, for Djokovic fans and Djokovic haters alike, Roberto Bautista has an outsized presence whenever he's in Djokovic's area, right? People feel that Bautista is the most dangerous player, perhaps in history. It's a bit exaggerated,
0: but... Specifically <laughs> for
1: Novak. Yes.
0: Because Bautista has caused problems we know that other players simply have
1: not been able yes. to. Especially on hard courts, though. But we've got Bautista here, who opens against Gasquet. Francis Tiafo versus number 30 seed Struff.
0: John Millman playing Pablo Carreño Busta. Like, that could go
1: 5.96 sets. Yes, easily. we could be here for about 10 hours. Pospisil Berrettini. Pospisil, his game is less effective on clay, but he's riding a high. Berrettini is a 7 seed. That could open up a big hole there. for for someone to take an opportunity.
0: Medvedev plays Fuchovic in the first round. Less than ideal, I'd say.
1: Yeah, but Fuchovic, I guess, is someone who would benefit from a big hitter's shots not penetrating on this slow, kind of sticky court. Denis Trapovalov,
0: (laughs) as Dr. Scholz on Twitter, so hilariously coined, and nobody really interacted with it. Quality stuff. Opens against French stalwart. Gilles Simon. Mm-hmm. Simon, he's still out here. That's the top half first round matches to look for as far as we're concerned. Let's go as far as the round of 16s because that's typically where we pick up with our mid tournament episode when it comes to these slams. Yeah. So let's not, we're not going to do predictions as to who's going to win. We're just going to s- tell you what that looks like. Novak, according to the seeds, would play Karen Hachanov in the, the round of 16.
1: Or. Christian Garin,
0: mm-hmm. who was today a bemused, bewitched, bewildered.
1: And most of all, bothered. But very much
0: bothered by an underhand,
1: underarm serve by Alexander Bublik. Mm-hmm. The argument was that was not fair because I was not ready, which is patently false. It is fair and, in my opinion, a little bit trashy. But it is fair. It's within the rules. You hate the I do, or... And I'm tired. Like, we have taken the official position that, well, it's within the rules and it's a good tactic, which I don't disagree with either of those Who is we? Things. Us the, or this the tennis podcast, discourse? And tennis in general, I think.
0: Very tenuously, you've agreed to that.
1: Really? Because, it, sure. Like, it's, it's a good tactic, tactic. I just think it's kind of tacky.
0: Listen, I've worked through my issues with Mm. the buttoned-up, puritanical nature of my cricket upbringing, (laughs) and I challenge you to do the same with your conception of tennis.
1: I think it's because I'm naturally a contrarian, so now that everybody is like, oh, it's a great strategy, da-da-da, now I want to be against it. It's just me. It's just my inclination. You were never in favor of it. And also, I don't understand why commentators and journalists are obsessed with return positioning. It's like the only tactical thing that certain commentators talk about. It's like the only thing they notice. And then they, they fixate. Like, do I care where Dominic team stands to return serve? I don't. I really don't. And only talk about it when it's pertinent. During the US Open, it was spoken about constantly as he won. Over and over and over. Like, why is it interesting? I'm gonna write an essay one day about how it's bound up in masculinity. But I haven't gotten there. I haven't oh, connected all I the see. dots yet. Uh, what? <laughs> you may need... And I'm not
0: going to right now. You need a magnifying glass to find some of those dots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, back to the draw. In the the round of 16, we could see Bautista versus Barrettini. Bautista, if he won, could face Novak in the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. So that would be the matchup that... Novak detractors are like licking their lips about,
0: which I think would be foolhardy on clay. Yeah, Novak is easily in the last ten years the second best player on clay. The what? Ten? Well, last last ten years. Dominic team has been chipping away at that the last few years. You could say he is number two now, currently based on the last couple years. Mm -hmm. But cumulatively over the last ten years, Novak Djokovic is squarely number two behind Rafa on clay. And when you consider the the gulf between Roberto's performance on clay compared to hard courts, I don't see this as a big threat the way I would if it were hard courts. And we saw that this was a potentiality at the U.S. Open that did not happen.
1: Right. So, like, it, it's a long road before we get to that. Now, Novak is the Rome champion from last week. He was never... Truly called upon to play his best tennis, and this is, you know, this is how you become Novak Djokovic. You don't have to play your best tennis to summon what you need to at at critical moments in matches. And that, see, that to me is scarier than dominating the field. You know, the conditions weren't great. He probably wasn't feeling his best. And we saw it at the U.S. Open. He wasn't playing his best. He was struggling with the neck. Mm -hmm. But he's the kind of player who, like, that doesn't really matter. Like, form coming in? That
0: said, these are the types of conditions you throw in a bit of wind, with the cold, with the rain. If, you know, perhaps the roof isn't closed. Maybe he thinks the roof should be closed, but it won't be closed. (laughs) There are a lot of outside factors, weather and otherwise, that could weave their way into his psyche. And shift his wig a little bit.
1: yes. And the non-tennis media will be watching him for any behavioral misstep. Because, you know, he got a code violation for profanity. The, I non, think the in non-tennis media? Yes. Be, you know, because now his profile has expanded further because of this default from Roland Garros. The, the non-traditional tennis media is picking up on the little things that he does. And sort of is taking it out of context because it was a news story so recently. In the uh, second quarter here, in the round of 16, we could see Medvedev and Ruby. We could, below that, we could see Dennis, uh, Chapeau Music versus Tsitsipas. So that is a loaded quarter of youngsters on the come-up and players who played well at the US Open.
0: Mm-hmm. Something we've seen upon resumption is that we should trust what we've seen in the lead-up on surfaces to these big events. Those, generally speaking, who played well leading up to the U.S. Open played well at the U.S. Open. Those who've played well on clay leading up to the French Open, we should probably expect them to play well. As it turns out, Denis Shapovalov is one of the only ones on either tour who've done both, making the semifinals of Rome, coming very close to making that final before Diego Schwartzmann uh, nabbed him, nipped him, tripped him. Trapped him at the end of that match.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ruby is in the semifinals of Hamburg. So is Tsitsipas currently. Tsitsipas
0: in a quick turnaround from that debacle at the US Open. We won't know if he's put that behind him until he finds himself in the situation again. Good for him, potentially. A good opportunity to get right back out there less than a
1: month. Yeah. To sort so, of get that taste out of his mouth. Yeah,
0: otherwise he'd have sat there with it throughout the entire off season leading into Australia.
1: Mm.
0: Now if he's able to to get this monkey off his back that had such a short visit. Like <laughs> a short visit. <laughs> this was not a, a long term stay, mm. then he can start the year afresh and this narrative won't have to follow him really.
1: Yeah. So, in the semifinals, the seeds would be Novak versus Medvedev or Tsitsipas, who is number five. I would look out for Krajinovic, who has played some great tennis over the past few weeks, who has to play Stefanos in the third round. So, that could be a test of whether that monkey is off his back.
0: I do want to shout out Liam Brody, who qualified for the French Open for the first time in his career and collapsed on the court on his back, really, really happy about it. He's going to get to play Yuri Vesely in the first round. So that is what? That's the first half, the top half of the men's draw. We have three more halves total
1: to do. We are trying to fly (laughs) through this episode as quickly as we can. I told you, nice and rough. So, Morfiz Bublik is an intriguing first round to me. Bublik who hoodwinked Garin with an underhanded serve today.
0: And who likes to do this.
1: Now he gets to stunt on everybody on... A French Open show court. Right. We have just below that, we have Emilio Gomez from Ecuador who qualified. He is the son of 1990 Roland Girls champion Andres Gomez. That is cool. We have, uh, there's another son of a Grand Slam winner. Ooh, Mr. Corda. Sebastian Corda. We have Mr. Drip Drop Correnton Moutet. <laughs> <laughs> I only mentioned him because of because of drip down. The, I keep
0: wanting to say like Drip Drop from, from Empire, from Empire, the first yeah. season of Empire. That was Empire, actually remember? a pretty cool song. <laughs> drip Drop, Drip 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 Drop.
1: Are you saying that uh, the Chapeau Music song is not a good song? <sighs> we'll, we'll get to that. We'll let you all be. It
0: has some interesting lyrics, mm-hmm. it gives Metaphors. us some insight into potential other careers that Dennis might have wanted to pursue had he not become a successful mm-hmm. tennis player. He's talking ad nauseum about race car driving. It's a metaphor. Tapping on the gas and then making a pass. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't understand because you're not an MC. Uh, apparently so. Uh, it, you asked me if it was good. I
1: think it was insightful. <laughs> this bottom half is headlined by the potential Nadal team semifinal. But there's a lot of other interesting stuff going on here. Stan Wawrinka and Andy Murray are drawn... To face each other in the first round, which is absolutely crazy.
0: It's crazy, and you've kind of fed into this ever-growing narrative on tennis Twitter, in particular, that these draws are fixed. I, I have don't not. necessarily. I, have not. I don't feel like you believe that, but some of the things that you write, jokingly, kind of, you know, are are run parallel to that.
1: Or oh, I see. Do you know what I, I mean? see? What you mean? Like, Serena drawing Christy on mm. for the second major in a row. But, like, why, why would anyone fix that to happen? Do you know what I mean? Like, the the draw-fixing argument is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because you can sort of find a narrative to fit your conclusion that the draws are mm-hmm. fixed. It doesn't... It's not like the evidence creates your conclusion. You start with the belief And then you find things to confirm them. It's how a conspiracy theory operates, you know? It's also not
0: that outlandish. You know, there are certain parts of the draw where certain players can only fall based on their ranking. Draws are
1: very controlled now with 32 mm. seeds and where they can all fall. Yeah, so to to think of it on a macro level and say, well,
0: what are the odds of this one person landing in this one spot? doesn't really work like that.
1: Like, I... To be totally frank, I don't know because I failed my probability tests, all of them. I hated it. I hated Oof. probability. It made no sense to me. Like if you draw what's the odds that you draw a jack of hearts and then a spade? I don't know. I don't know how to find out. So don't ask us about what are the odds. However, Stan Marinka and Andy Murray will play in the first round.
0: And Andy himself has said, "Listen, this is the match that wrecked my, my hip. This was this <laughs> yes. was the end of the road yeah, in, for his hip in 2017. That semi final against Stan before Rafa waxed Stan
1: in the final. And get this: the winner between these two oldies has to play Dominic Kupfer, who is on a roll, who's playing way better than his ranking suggests. It's it's not great." For either of those guys.
0: You won't say Musetti in this field, but this what 18-year-old Italian yeah. has made big splashes in this young, abbreviated clay season. Beating Stan, right? In Rome, in the first
1: round, I believe. Yep. Musetti next beat Nishikori, and then lost to Dominic Kupfer, who's here potentially facing Warinka or Murray in the second round. Every tournament like this, there are folks who... Perhaps a little bit unheralded,
0: who are coming in on a streak, and folks immediately look to them as the dark horse. Kupfer is that guy at this tournament.
1: Yep, and I would add someone like Casper Rudd to that list as well. Nishioka Oje El could be an interesting first round. Opelka Sok could be an interesting match to skip. <laughs> Chilich team. You know, Chilich is a former Grand Slam winner, of course. One can never discount him. It's not Dominic's maybe ideal first round, but I I think it's more about the name at this precise moment in time rather than what the matchup is going to look like.
0: I'll be interested to see if these heavy conditions force Dominic to try and blast through the stratosphere even more than he normally does. <laughs> right. And will his shoulder survive? Ooh. Rafa made a comment in his, uh, I guess, French Open press that he's kind of worried about these conditions, about the safety of these conditions with respect to injury, with the balls being so heavy and the overcast conditions and the cold. And uh, that is not something that we should overlook, I think.
1: Yeah. You see Marco Cecchinato here, who qualified. And, you know, tennis is rough, right? Cechinato was a semi-finalist two years ago at this tournament, beating Novak Djokovic, and you'll see a similar thing on the women's side. Sarah Irani had to qualify, and I mean, her career has taken a, a massive valley, and she's sort of clawing her way back, but she was the runner-up here in 2012 mm-hmm. to Maria Sharapova. She has seven clay titles to her name, and... It is it is rough, even for players who've had great success.
0: But see, for Cechinato, he hasn't won a match at the Grand Slam since that
1: run at the French Open. Oh. Benoit Paire is the number 23 seed, and he is tired. He's sick and tired. Well, literally sick. He was and, previously sick, yep. and now tired. The tantrums have gotten a little bit much. Benoit has been a lot of people's hipster fave in tennis for a while,
0: there's lit- There's literally nothing in tennis that annoys me more than tennis hipster fandom. <laughs> it is so tiresome.
1: I think there's room for all types of fandom. Uh, I'm trying to be the diplomat here because there could be a lot of people listening who, who really like Benoit. But Benoit has been throwing a lot of tantrum recently. He's annoyed with the protocols, with the isolation, all that. And like, okay, but nobody is forcing you to be here. All of this. It's a lot just to lose in the first round. (laughs) Do you remember when Trixie Mattel said, this is a lot of emotion for safe. That's what this is. Just turn it down. Um, Yannick Sinner faces David Goffin in the first round. That is rough. These young Italian guys are out here. mm -hmm.
0: They have a bright future. We could be seeing the back of the Fonini era so soon. It may have already happened.
1: And this this generation of Italian men will probably outshine his generation by quite a bit.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> that would be my guess.
1: And I do like, you know, they're prompted often to talk about the, really, the Italian women's dream team that won Fed Cup titles, that that Panetta, Schiavone, Vinci, Irani, Irani era, which was such a boon for Italian tennis. And so I appreciate that a lot of these young men talk about how they grew up watching these women play. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Sinner seems to have his
0: head screwed on real good, not trying to get too ahead of himself.
1: <laughs> yeah. Dan Evans versus Nishikori. Poor Kay. He's really had a rough go of it. He's had COVID. He's not playing his best. This is just sort of rebuilding time. That's, that's a tough out in the first mm-hmm. round.
0: Yeah. Round of 16s, Mofis would play Schwartzmann. Vavrinka should he get there, should he get past Andy Murray? Should he get past Nishioka or Oge Sim in the third round, he would play Dominic Team in the fourth round. So that quarter, Mofiz Schwartzmann, Vavrinka team.
1: Cute, it's cute, right? It's great. I you, Schwartzman, the runner up in Rome, Caspar Ruud could be Dominic Team's third round opponent. I know you said we don't want to do difficult draws or easy draws, but team has not been given a cupcake here. It's, this is tough. It has a lot of dangerous clay floaters. The team
0: Chilich thing, if Dominic Team is playing even 50% of his best on clay, that's not a
1: thing. Yeah, but that's I'm talking about Casper Ruud, uh, possibly Stan, Diego Schwartzman in the quarterfinals. I'm just saying. It's not impossible, but it, it's it could have been much easier. He's a US Open champion, yes. though.
0: He's a big boy with lots of air miles, lots of frequent <laughs> flyer miles. He can handle it. Mm-hmm.
1: Fourth quarter, Alexander Zverev is, uh, we didn't even mention his name yet. Number six seed could face Goffin. Or Yannick Sinner. Or Sinner or Pair, technically. He just made a joke that
0: he's losing in the first <laughs> round.
1: <laughs> the seed drawn to face Rafa in the round of 16 is Fabio Fognini, but it also could be John Isner. I've
0: seen a lot of Rafa fans big mad about his draw. I mean, it it, it is what it is. Rafa on a regular French Open surface under regular conditions probably wouldn't be too his fans probably wouldn't be too worried about this setup. Yeah, I mean, you get to the semifinals, you have to expect to at least play somebody tough, and it might be Dominic Team. That's what you get. It's not the end of the world, right? If you get mm-hmm. to the semifinals as Rafa Nadal at the French Open, you're ready. You're you're there. Right? Are you willing or wanting? To make a a
1: winner on the men's side. No, I'm not making a single prediction. Not one? No. Why? Because, I mean, there are so many unknowns in this tournament. It remains to be seen if it will even finish. (laughs) Okay. The women's draw. I think for the first time in a while, the number one seed is the presumptive favorite you've jinxed her i know you've just jinxed her I, for the first time in a while we have a clear favorite at a grand slam tournament simona Halep just won rome she's on a
0: big winning streak you could have made the argument that naomi osaka would have been a big favorite in this position well mm. she wasn't number one but, but a runaway favorite for the us open oh, but oh. she was injured coming right. into it that threw right. a wrench into that this one Simona had a cute run-of-the-mill, boom, boom, boom. I am that woman at the Rome tournament. Taking care of business, as they say, winning her 22nd career title. She's a two-time slam champion. And I would think if I were to make one prediction about this tournament, not necessarily that Simona will win, but I think we are set up to have somebody win their third Slam title at this event. Oh,
1: interesting. For a
0: second Slam in a row. Could be Simona, could be Vika, might not be Petra. (laughs) What about Muguruza winning her third? That would be the other one. I think that trio of Muguruza, Azarenka, and Simona come in as the the, the trio of favorites for this tournament. Mm
1: -hmm. I would say outside of that inner circle... Svitolina could see this as an opportunity to win her first. Mm -hmm.
0: She's currently in the Strasbourg final. We could also see Kiki Bertens doing really well. She's promised to go deep at the French Open before she's very accomplished on clay. You could also see somebody like Yulia Putintseva do really well. Mm -hmm. We talked about the, the wiggery and the trickery and the giggery and the tomfoolery.
1: This is right up her alley. All that said, Simona Halep as the number one seed, she has a tough quarter. There are some real threats in there. Vondrosova could be her round of 16 opponent. Vondrosova, who Pliskova beat in the semifinals of Rome. But she is the runner-up of Roland Garros last year, losing to Ash Barty. Anisimova in the third round. Jill Teichman in the second round. And then, not to mention on the other side of that quarter, Joanna Conta, who's the runner-up in Rome last year, the semifinalist in Roland Garros last year, Kiki Bertens, as you mentioned. Sakari as well. Yes. Very intriguing first rounds
0: in this quarter as well. And listen, that quarter, do not discount Svetlana Kuznetsova,
1: even though she opens against
0: Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova.
1: Sveta, 28 seed. She didn't come to North America she is a former champion of Roland Garros in 2009, I believe. She is, I mean, she's the Energizer Bunny. Like, one can never count her out. She's had so many career resurgences. Some other first-round matches I'm looking at is Iga Shviontek versus vs. Vondrosova, Joanna Kanta versus Koko Goff. Like, I just mentioned all of Kanta's clay credentials, but she has to open up against this force of nature.
0: Well, what are you doing here? You skipped right over Diana Yastremska and Daria Gavrilova. <laughs> what are you doing? Okay. Gavrilova tweeted something to the effect of, I was just saying yesterday, watch, I'm going to draw D-Y. <laughs> <laughs> and it was tweeted in a way where you got her meaning that this mess of a tennis player is not someone she wants to be in the vicinity of. And that's who she gets. Like, these girls don't like her. It it appears that way. Yeah. You know, we are the world. I believe the children are the future. Black, white, yellow, all the colors of the rainbow, Mm -hmm. Yastremska, is now without her colorblind partner in crime, (laughs) Sasha Byan. And uh, we shall see how she fares at this event.
1: She is a bit of an easy target right now. She is. If too many players start getting up on her, I'm going to start leaning toward the opposite end because it's going to feel a little bit mean. Tomlanovic, Sakari in the first round. Either way, a likable player with star quality has to go in the very mm-hmm. first round.
0: Annette Kontaveit plays Caroline Garcia. Garcia unseated at the French Open. To expect Garcia to make a deep run at the French Open. Historically, that has not been something you can call upon.
1: However, this is where Andy Murray first crowned Garcia as a future number one. Mm-hmm.
0: Anna Carolina Schmidlova plays Venus Williams in the first round. Now this is not the big high-profile, oh my god, Venus draws the number three seed in the first round scenario, but this is the player who has beaten Venus in the first round of the French Open before yeah. and owns a two-on-one, two-to-one head-to-head record against her. And the last two times they played, Schmidlova has won. And both times, Venus won the first set. So we, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say we. I want to say I, at this point, do not have high hopes for for mm. Venus at this tournament. I admire her fortitude and try-heartedness. S- stick to itness. Yes. She's been in Europe longer than most of these folks who played the U.S. Open. Partly because she lost in the first round of the U.S. Open. But still, like she's been putting in the work. Cold conditions, heavy conditions. I, I can't see this being a recipe for success for Venus.
1: I've seen a lot of Venus fans so relieved that she's not facing a seed in the first round. If Venus gets through that match, look who's there in the second round. Victoria she, Azarenka. She could play Azarenka for the third time in, what, six weeks?
0: Mm-hmm. In Kentucky, Venus played Vika there and her that precipitated Vika's rise back into the top 15 of the WTA Mm -hmm. Tour. You say blitz, we could say bless. (laughs) Uh, They played again in Rome, and Vika won. Vika was up big in that first set, and Venus kept clawing back, clawing back, eventually got it to a tiebreak, and uh, it's, it's, it's frustrating, I'm sure, for Venus because she's giving herself chances she's not playing poorly she didn't play poorly at the us open she didn't play mm. poorly in rome but there's there's a limit to what she can bring over a long period of time in these matches and when you get behind
1: early it becomes that much more difficult right for her at this point like she's despite the record over the past few weeks she's not playing badly it's just that so many women are playing really well She played well against Serena when she lost to Serena in Kentucky. Some other players who are in this half of the draw, Jeannie Bouchard has, I mean, she was down in the dumps, right? She was, her ranking was in the 300s. She couldn't even get it qualifying in some of these WTA tournaments. She got a wild card here because of what she's been doing over the past few weeks. She's one of the only non-French players to get a wild card. Her and Svetana Peronkova, based on how she performed at the US Open, Jeannie has a shot to win a few matches. Shout out to Renata Zarazua from Mexico, who's the first Mexican woman to play in a Grand Slam main draw since 2000. I believe she first came to our attention in Monterey. Yeah, and that was this year, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Those crowds, do you remember those crowds when she was winning those mm-hmm. matches?
1: Like we said, Serena Williams drew Christy on again for the second consecutive major.
0: Round of 16s, Hallett plays Vondrosova. Kanta, should she get there, because there's a lot to get through there, would play Kiki Bertens. Svidalina would play Mertens. Azarenka, should she get through, Kovinic in the first round, Schmidlovar Venus in the second round, likely Putintseva in the third round, she would play Serena in the fourth round.
1: Svitolina is going to be tough for anyone on these courts in these conditions. She is the Rome champion twice over, and she's made two quarterfinals here at Roland Garros. The last half, the fourth half
0: of these the men's and women's draws,
1: <laughs> aka the bottom half, the bottom of the half of, draw, of the women's
0: draw, is headlined by Karolina Pliskova, who retired in the Rome final and didn't have much to give in that Rome final against Simona Halep. We know that she can play well on on clay. I just don't know that this is the right setup for her. With the cold weather, with the likely slower conditions.
1: Yeah, I mean she's gonna really have to grind if she wants to do well. She won Rome last year. Like she knows how to play on clay. She plays well on the faster clay at Stuttgart as well. We shall see. Her condition in Rome wasn't great. The injury is concerning. This close to a Grand Slam, so it's it's really hard to know what to expect. Mm-hmm. There. This is
0: just a different kind of clay. Yeah, I think yeah. we have to accept that. Oh yeah. Savolanka at the top of that bottom half. She would play Muguruza in the round of 16s. Rybakina would play Kennan in the round of 16. Kavieda with either Keys or Kerber, and Petra Martic, who is to my mind, always a dark horse on clay, wherever she goes. Even though she's the number 13 seed. She's one to watch. And then Karolina Pliskova. So Martich Pliskova to round out the draw in the round of 16s. First round matches to look at. Sabalenka, Jessica Pagula. I'd watch that. Monica Nicolescu against Daniel Collins. Collins being potentially annoyed at some of the uh, wizardry on court. (laughs) Uh, There could be
1: A fair few yells from Danielle on that court. Yeah. Hibino versus Kostiuk. Now Hibino reached the semifinals in Strasbourg this week. Kostiuk is a young player who frustrated the hell out of Naomi Osaka at the US Open this year.
0: There were two matches on the women's draw that I wrote LOL beside in the first round. The first one being Daria Gavrilova against Diana Yastromska. And the second one is Laura Sigamund against... Kristina Mladenovic.
1: Mm-hmm. Mostly for the mess potential? Well, yeah.
0: That's that's <laughs> what else are we here for?
1: Siegmund of course is coming off of a doubles victory at the US Open. Yulia Gerges versus Alison Risk.
0: You say of course like people are supposed to remember what? Like people are supposed <laughs> to remember that Somebody I saw somebody tweet why did I just Google the winner of the U.S. Open <laughs> on the men's side? And then I was like, yeah, why did you? And it was like, well, 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 who was it? And then I was like, shit. Oh, I And know. then it took me like five to ten seconds. You know, this is so condensed, what's going on in tennis. Uh, yeah. Who can pay attention? No disrespect to doubles.
1: So for me, I'm looking out for Muguruza, Rybakina, who's in the final of Strasbourg right now. But who could face Fiona Farrow in the second round? Farrow, I feel, is poised for a big breakout at a Grand Slam tournament because of her success this year. Sophia Kennan has, uh, you know, floundering may be too rough of a word during pandemic year, but has not found her best tennis recently.
0: Mm -hmm. Something to watch with this event. How much of an impact will it make on the French players not having that many fans there? Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, for a lot of the French players, they seem to suffer with fans there. It could be beneficial, who knows? Yelena Ostapenko gets Madison Brengel in the first round. We should have mentioned facing Plishkova in the first round is Maya Sharif, the first Egyptian woman to play in a Grand Slam main draw, and with her qualifying win, became the first Egyptian woman to win a match. At all at a Grand Slam tournament.
0: From this half, you're definitely looking at, to my mind, Muguruza, Sabalenko, Rybakino, Martic. Mm-hmm. That's who I'm looking at.
1: But it could be somebody could have a huge opportunity in that fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. It could be someone like Ann Kerber.
0: It could be somebody like, dare we say it, Sloane Stevens.
1: Yeah, sure. It's bound
0: to happen at some point. Yeah. Right? I think so. I would love to see a resurgence from Yelena Ostapenko at this event. Mm-hmm. I know I said I wasn't going to talk about tough draws, but I, I saw Muguruza tweet something about what her bubble life was currently, and she was doing all kinds of ridiculous physical activity. And she looked ready AF in that video. And then you look at this draw, and then you see that she potentially gets Kuzmova or Christina Pliskova in the second round, and then Jennifer Brady in the third round, and then Sabalenka in the fourth round. It's not ideal.
1: That's the draws. Let's talk about some of the other themes that are hovering around this tournament. As you mentioned earlier, the COVID-19 numbers in France are not great. They're experiencing another wave, and, you know, we could be headed there in Canada soon. The French Open wanted to have, what, 20-something thousand fans
0: per day at this event, and that was just outrageous
1: by any standard. Uh, right. Even, even if the country was handling it really well and the case numbers are down, that was a lot. Then it was 10,000. Then it was 5,000. And <laughs> now it's 1,000. The Prime Minister of France came out and said, first, he said mistakenly, you can only have 1,000 people on the grounds, including staff, at any given time. He corrected himself and said, actually, I meant you can have your staff plus Mm. 1,000 spectators.
0: Because then it becomes a question of how do we run this event with just 1,000 people on site every day? To run a singles event on both sides, to run doubles events, to have media accredited, to have uh, concessions
1: people. Well, because if you're inviting spectators, Mm -hmm. those are probably open. All kids, just everyone. You have
0: extra sanitation workers because of COVID nineteen. It it went from such incredible optimism to panic (laughs) within the space of a couple Mm -hmm. hours, and then it come. We come to find out that okay, you can have your staff plus one thousand fans. Yeah,
1: I just I can't imagine these decisions being taken three days before the tournament starts. What if you were one of those people who had tickets? It's just, it's crazy. Well, that's a risk that you take. If you bought a tennis ticket to this
0: Grand Slam, you took that risk. Yes. I feel no way in saying that. And also, we know, living through this pandemic now for, what, six months? That things change. You're doing great one day, and then 14 days down the road, shit hits the fan. It is not a linear progression. It's ups and downs. There's a reason why we're seeing lots of graphs with lots of squiggly wigglies and a lot of that is dependent on on the citizenry, on the government's response and behavior during this pandemic. And and 20,000 fans was not in keeping with keeping down the curve.
1: It just no, wasn't. No. Um it's hard for us to know what it's like being in this bubble or quasi bubble. Noah Rubin had a lot of complaints that he aired on his podcast. Some players said, well, that's actually not the case. I've been tested a bunch of times. It seems pretty strict around here. So it's hard to know what exactly is going on. So I don't want to launch any criticism there Mm -hmm. because, you know, they have physicians and officials advising them. The Benoit pair thing is a really good example of, uh, you know, people who aren't experts kind of going off and saying, well, that sounds unsafe. And then physicians telling you, well, actually, it makes sense, and it's not crazy that he would be allowed to play. It's an interesting thing, and, like, we're learning new things every day. Those are, those of us lay people. You know, so Benoit tested positive again for COVID. He tested positive last month, and he subsequently tested negative a few times. So, you know, he got the disease a while ago. He has tested positive again because... Apparently you still shed viral RNA for a while, and you may test positive, but that doesn't mean you're contagious. So the tournament doctor said, you know, he went through his isolation period, he's no longer contagious. That's why he can play. Okay, got it. All that tells me is that if I'm somebody like
0: Ash Barty, I'm so content with my millions, with my family, with my new dogs, with my golfing excursions, staying my ass home. In Australia.
1: <laughs> right. Like. Now, Fernando Verdasco just came out today and said, Hey, I was disqualified from Roland Garros. I had COVID in August. I've tested negative several times since. Just tested positive here in Paris and was thrown out immediately. So what I don't know, because I haven't really seen the official uh, response from the tournament... We've only seen Verdasco's version. How is this situation different from Pear? If Verdasco did test positive in August, doesn't this mean he's no longer contagious? So why was he ejected right away? I don't know. So it's not a criticism, it's just a question. At the US Open, we got
0: the narratives of moms. That was an enduring narrative. We also got the no spectator stuff. What is it like to play at night in front of nobody on Arthur Ashe? In the absence of so many other things at these makeshift Grand Slams, with so many external factors affecting what's going on on court, the commentariat is going to latch on, as they always do, but even more so now, to a few things. This much is clear. The thing that we are going to hear about nonstop, ad nauseum, specifically as long as Rafael Nadal is in the draw, how are the conditions different? How are the balls affecting play compared to previous years? How is the colder temperature, the playing under the roof? Because it's going to be rainy. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be cold. The balls are going to be heavier. How are all these things going to affect play? And a lot of folks are focused on Nadal himself specifically because we know historically that his perfect date, when somebody asks you, what's your ideal date? Oh, it's a walk on the beach. It's the da-da-da-da-da. It's an 80 degree day, no humidity, no wind, a lightly dusted Philippe Chatrier where his ball can get as many revolutions as possible and bounce as high in whichever direction he so chooses. Right. That, that's Rafa's ideal. This change in equipment and condition now brings into question, will we see anything remotely close to peak Rafa on clay. And that, that's going to be a narrative for the first week at least of this tournament. And should it get to the back end where Rafa has to play team or Djokovic, the way we conceive of those matchups previously may not be what we see in effect this time mm-hmm. around. It's just a different beast, this tournament.
1: Tennis players and all elite athletes are superstitious and they're sensitive to minor changes in climate, equipment, Balls, all these things. Rafa tends to focus in on the ball. Like if, you know, if a tournament changes the ball, he's the first one to notice and he's the first one to vocalize about it. He's not happy about this ball change to Wilson. So Wilson is going to get a lot of uh, PR over these next two weeks and it may not be good. It's not like Rafa called a
0: press conference to announce his displeasure. No. He did his media availability and obviously he was asked about it. Yes. Rafa's going to give you his thoughts on it. It directly affects him as far as he's concerned. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen is that folks are going to have trouble generating pace. We saw some of this in Mm -hmm. Rome last week. It was not pretty tennis. The courts in Rome were chuffed (laughs) up a bit to begin with.
1: Well, that's sort of standard. It (laughs) was.
0: There were some trashy courts Mm -hmm. in Rome. So we just hope that this doesn't present too much terrible tennis. But we expect it, (laughs) to to be (laughs) frank. We got a question from Dennis TMDC asking, if the $1 contract only happened now, who among the current players would comprise the nine? Who would be the BJK equivalent? This question comes against the backdrop of the celebration of the 50th anniversary of the original nine this past week. When these nine players signed contracts with Gladys Heldman in effect creating the Virginia Slims Tour, which would later morph into the WTA Tour. The birth of women's tennis. Yep. In in this modern era.
1: It's an interesting question because there are a few women's tennis players who have been politically active for a while, but I feel it's difficult to answer because that historical moment sort of produce the people who were necessary for that change right mm-hmm. like Billie jean king exists in that era in the way that
0: this period this this time kind of necessarily created naomi osaka's activism specifically in support of the black lives matter movement and combating racism in america
1: because for for a lot of women tennis players it probably feels like the job is done as far as tennis goes, right? Their concerns may be bigger than tennis. And I think it's much easier in 2020 to be individualistic, to be inward looking. There are, I feel, more impediments to collective organizing if you're a successful professional athlete. Basically, you have money and you have privilege to sort of make those things feel unnecessary.
0: I think it's important to, to focus on what you said. It's it's too hard for me to to conceptualize who these players would be w- with respect to starting a women's tour because we have a women's tour,
1: mm-hmm. but we we don't really know who would step up until it becomes necessary to step up. And you know the people who have been vocal about things bigger than tennis: Coco, Venus, and Serena, Naomi, Naomi, Naomi Vika, Sloan, Vika. They Those are would the probably obvious be choices. The good candidates.
0: Christiane, Nicole Gibbs. I think what we're seeing is
1: that we're seeing a lot of North American players. Right. I would look a little bit deeper in the rankings and see who are the players who would truly benefit from a more equitable sharing out.
0: A bit of levity to end the episode. Firstly, mess. Repeated mess. Recurring mess. A sequel that we did not need. Starring... Nicurios and Boris Becker. Boris Becker, who, as always, is impervious to his impending financial doom, current financial doom, impending litigation, potential prison time, what have
1: you. Truly, the only person who needs attention more than Nicurios is Boris Becker. So Boris ordered some attention and he got it. He Nicurios posted a picture of himself. On a tennis court with the caption a different breed on Instagram, and Boris, totally unprovoked, comments in your dreams. Like, Boris Becker is 52 years old. 52 he's a 52-year-old man. What? why? This is
0: what happens when young men are never forced to grow up. <laughs> Apparently. One would presume. Uh
1: Boris has kind of an obsession with Nikurios. He finds it's very offensive that Nick goes after fellow tennis players and feels that these things should be dealt with privately.
0: What I don't understand is, you have all these personal crises in your life. Your public reputation within tennis could exist separately and apart from that. And you could still be that person who is revered, who can ride the coattails of his legendary career and still occupy the penthouse of men's tennis history. And you're just... And yet. You just want to burn everything down. Burn everything down to the ground.
1: He, he could have a stature like Stefan Edberg, who has a very similar resume, who played at the same time, and who's been kind of minding his business. Boris is in the news constantly talking about Novak, Revealing things that probably should have been private. Going after Nekirios. Lusting after Mariana Veljevich on TV. Oh my god. It, it, it's just nonstop.
0: It's disgusting. His <laughs> comments about his comments about Veljevich were disgusting. Because not only is he doing all this other stuff for attention, but he's being a disgusting pig as a commentator. <laughs> I don't know if he needed to know all that. I don't know if we needed to talk about that. But... It's something that happened, and it's on the record.
1: That brings us to our dramatic reading. Denis Trapovalov released on all platforms his new single, Drip, featuring Correnton Moutet. Uh, according to Correnton, it's pronounced Correnton Mutet.
0: Mm-hmm. This is the follow-up, the second single from the debut album after The Night train.
1: No, just night train. Just night train. The. Mm. so we are going to read you the lyrics. Dennis's verse is way too long. I, I'm sorry. I couldn't sit here and transcribe a two minute long verse. So, have we decided whether Dennis is taking himself seriously or if
0: he's taking the piss? This is
1: no. This is serious. This
0: is serious. Indeed, serious. I will say, if we go from what he did with Blair Henley on Court, that was just a couple years ago. To go from there to here, that is, that's quite the development. It's an improvement, I will say. Where all of that fits on the scale from trash to good,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> uh, he's still a ways away from good. Let's yes. put it that way.
1: I mean, as far, like, on the scale of Toronto rap, you, you know, you have Drake, obviously, is the, is the emperor. You have, at the bottom, you have Tory Lanes, who shot an icon. And then you have Dennis, somewhere, I guess somewhere in the middle, coming for Drake's crown.
0: I don't know how Drake got that crown in the first place. I don't think that that's (laughs) emblematic of greatness, but, you know, that's a discussion for Mm -hmm. another day.
1: So here we go. Yeah, you know I got that drip down. Drip down. Made another mill with that drip down. Drip down. Get another kill with that drip down. Drip down! Gotta leave my crib with that drip, drip, drip. Pull up in a new whip every other week. Dress so fly, everybody know me. Phone blowing up, the press want to meet. Fuck that man, I was about to leave. They said I'm overrated. How far could they see? Took a vision test. Couldn't pass line three. Talk so much shit, they forgot how to pee. Damn. Thought I told the world, don't mess with the G. Going so fast,
0: pilot can't crash. I just sit back. And count this cash. I just hit gas. Yeah, all I do is pass. Now I'm in the league. Competition, where you at? Try to lock the doors. Didn't know I had the key. Scared of a wolf. They Didn't want to let me free. Gotta do what they say every day. I said fuck it. Start to do it my way. Got me running at the gate. O.G. Oh, now they scream my name on beat. Everything I do is on fleek. Be across the globe in a week. If you still want to
1: hate, feel free. Yeah, you know I got that drip down, drip down. Mute ate him up. (laughs) (laughs) He like, he really did. Like he's actually kind of (laughs) good.
0: Well, we don't know how corny those lyrics are in French as well. They just, they just sound better. His
1: his flow is better. His flow is better. I don't know what the lyrics mean.
0: I just don't understand why this is a featuring. For Mute. I don't understand. Like, he is the better one.
1: This is like uh, when Kanye West recorded Monster and invited Nicki Minaj to absolutely body Jay-Z, Rick Ross, and Kanye West.
0: Listen, phone blowing up, the press wanna meet. Fuck that man, I was about to leave. You know, it's not all seamless. I don't understand this part. The phone is blowing up. Because he just, oh, he just won a match, I guess. So his phone is blowing up. And, like, he's but, popular. But the press wants to meet. Yeah. Oh, this is like some insider tennis mm-hmm. perspective. But he said, fuck that man. I was about to leave. But he's still there. He goes to the press conferences. So this is fronting. Because mm-hmm. he's a good boy. This is fronting. He also did some incredible rhyming with C, 3,
1: P, and G. Yeah, see, th- there's a rhyme scheme. This is poetry. I don't. Understand the line, talk so much shit they forgot how to pee? I, I think there was some,
0: like, shit, the, the shit and pee together was, the... like, putting number one and two together in
1: one sentence. It was was a choice. Mm, yeah. Okay. Listen to it. It's on Spotify. It's called Drip. The artist is Chapeau Music. Dennis Trapovalov, man. <laughs> no, that Chapeau Music is, like, his actual name. And so they can find Oh, that's it. his rap name? At least on, on the platforms, yeah. Oh. So anyway... Listen, uh, like, if this guy wants to
0: have fun, have fun. But the moment it it starts to take itself too seriously, then you're asking us to take it seriously as well? And then we just gotta
1: be real about it. I mean, tennis players should have outside interests. We dealt with Serena's acting career. Come on. Like... (laughs) Wow. Anyway... Welcome Roland Garros 2020. Try to behave yourself.
0: My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at Tennis
1: underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. We are at The Body Serve on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all your favorite podcast apps. Please feel free to leave us a review. It helps uh, kind of boost the profile of the podcast and we appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Till next time.